So welcome, everyone. Uh, we're here today with Raj Madurai of the Midwest Eye Institute at Indiana University School of Medicine. And uh, Raj is the principal investigator uh, or lead author on Protocol W from the Diabetic Retinopathy Clinical Research Network, which studied the use of intravitreal aflibercept in the treatment of moderate and severe nonproliferative diabetic retinopathy. This study uh, has gained lots of attention and its results are in fact thought provoking and I think are going to have a great influence on clinical practice. So Raj, welcome to Retina Synthesis and congratulations on your, your work and the work of the network. Always great stuff. And uh, can you just summarize what the key findings were? Absolutely. First, thank you for inviting me, Carmen. I think this web thing that you guys are doing is absolutely wonderful. I've watched a few of them and uh, well done. Both you and Charlie Wyckoff do a fantastic job. Um, Protocol W was published just a couple of, a few weeks ago. And, um, and the real key was to see what is the best way to treat non-pluriferive direct retinopathy. We know that when somebody has PDR, treatment with either a laser or anti-VEGF chronically is beneficial. This was seen in protocol S as well as with a few other protocols that were done. However, we're not exactly sure what the right thing to do for somebody who shows up with moderate NPDR, severe NPDR, and, um, and what the treatment option should be. We have some clue. Panorama, which was a very short primary endpoint study, showed that you could decrease the rate of progression of disease by giving them chronic treatment with anti-VEGF. Well, protocol W was uh, with a slightly different aim. Number one, can we number improve the diabetic retinopathy score? Can we improve the anatomy? That was the first question. And we wanted to see if that would be true at two years, which is the data we presented. And then, and the real question is, does this matter? Does a patient's visual function, visual acuity improve if you gave them additional treatment? Or is it just, are we just treating the image? Is that what we're getting from this? Is that the whole benefit for this extraordinary cost of treating such patients? Well, at the end of the day, at the end of two years, treatment with anti-VEGF, the treated group, had an improvement in the anatomy. However, there was really no significant change in the OCT between the sham control group or the treated group, or there was absolutely no difference in vision. And we looked at vision in multiple different ways. We looked at the average acuity, difference was less than a letter. We looked at the proportion that were improved by 15%, all of those subgroups, and we really didn't see a big difference. And that's where the study is. It's continuing on. We have two full years completely done, and uh, most patients have done with that third year too, and hopefully we'll get the rest done soon. Uh, were the investigators surprised with the study results? Well, I guess Panorama informed us and told us that there may not be a significant difference in uh, vision because Panorama didn't find much either, even at their two-year endpoint. Um, we thought they might be a... <clears throat> at least some difference in OCT or in some other measure. 
we thought there might be a difference in complication rate, the number of people with vitreous hemorrhages, the number of people with all the other stuff that detachment, detachments, all the other stuff that normally happens when you follow diabetics. But again, there was no significant difference between those two groups. So to some extent, I was surprised that the groups were so similar at the end of two years. Mm-hmm. But the, the treatment intensity was radically different. There was something like eight, eight injections yes. in the so same group, group. The and treated group, they one, had eight shots. One, Right. Exactly. And the other group, one and a half or so. I mean, that's a huge a little bit less than burden. one. Yeah. Huge difference in treatment burden. And and that's an important thing. There's a significant cost with that treatment. There's a lot of other stuff that goes with it. So uh, the study is going to continue on. Uh, and it's it was a four year study stopped mm-hmm. enrolling and in, uh, in 2020, I gather. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what, what, what do you hope to learn at four years? Uh, it stopped enrolling in 2019. We did not do the two-year results till everybody had finished two years. So, and a majority of them were enrolled relatively early on. So I suspect we'll be able to close it just on, we'll be having the four-year results about this time in another year and a half or another two years. As a retina clinician, okay. Yeah. How are you going to implement these results in your own practice? It's always a good question. Personally, given how much treatment burden there was and given that there was not necessarily a huge improvement in function, at this point, my job would be to watchfully wait and observe. Maybe the one group I might consider treating early were the ones that were enrolled who had PDR, but outside the seven fields. These were actually allowed even though they were quote, neovascular, I might treat those subjects with either early PRP or an anti-VEGF followed by PRP to minimize their treatment burden. Again, this is not a DRC or mandated or uh, suggested protocol, but this is what I would personally do. Mm-hmm. The, is there a way of understanding which patients are going to be the ones that progress to PDR or diabetic macular edema. And any, any trace of any evidence of being able to identify those patients? That, Carmen, is the key question here. And that's what we'll be looking at really carefully and when that four-year data comes out. So right now, for the people who progressed to PDR, we weren't able to find any specific thing We looked at race, sex, hemoglobin A1C levels, blood pressure, all the other factors that we typically look at. We weren't able to identify one that was really well correlated with it. Um, We did find that the level of baseline retinopathy was very much correlated with the percentage that went on to PDR. So there was a slight difference between what we considered, and these are all in the tables that are published, um, what we considered meeting the endpoint, which is meeting endpoint for PDR, about 50 to 60% of the subjects who had severe NPDR went on to have at least early PDR. But this did not mean that 60 or 70% got treated. We only treated subjects when they reached high-risk PDR. So even though a large percentage of the severe NPDR moved on to getting to PDR, they only got anti-VEGF treatment if they were high-risk. So even though they met the criteria for, quote, becoming PDR, we didn't actually treat them. That's why the sham group ended up getting so few injections over those two-year, two, three-year period so far. 
Do you think this reflects real world practice or was this a more carefully managed clinical research environment? Fair question. Um, at least if I'm going by the PAT surveys, a vast majority of retina specialists are still not treating NPDR that's moderate. There are a few more people who are treating severe NPDR and most people are treating PDR. Um, and maybe not even waiting for high-risk PDR to develop. And maybe that's that's kind of where this is showing our data. What do you think, Carmen? Mm, I think that uh, what you've shown is that observation, careful observation, I think that's very important. Yes. And coupled with judicious PR and treatment gives you a, a result that is just as good as prophylactic treatment with much less treatment burden, okay? And the, the issue I think I always had with Panorama is that you needed to treat two patients to benefit one. That's, that's always the question. How many, quote, unnecessary treatments are we doing? And that Very fair, has, yeah. And that has challenged retina specialists thinking since the Panorama data came out. So completely the, uh, agree. And protocol W, uh, I think, is an important trial. And I think the four-year data, when it comes out in another year or two, will be welcomed. I'm looking for that big time. I'd love to see how these subjects do. And the best part is, as you know, the DRCR is made up of just people like you and me. These are people who are bread and butter clinicians and we're getting their real life patients with real life data. So uh, I love the fact that as clinicians we're able to run these studies with a minimum amount of uh, industry intervention and inter industry thought. Yeah, well, I, I think one of the things though that's important that the, the, the paper stressed was the importance of careful follow-up of the patients. Um, yes. If you're gonna do uh, so-called PRN treatment or uh, as needed treatment, the patients need to be followed very carefully. Is they that, were followed every correct? four months. They right. were followed every four months, which is, if you think about it, not something uncommon for severe NPDR right. to be followed anyway. And our follow-up was reasonably good. We were over 80, 80 85% follow-up in the first two years if you exclude deaths. Um, and, and I'd hope to see how our four-year follow-up will look. Um, some of the results can be skewed by poor follow-up if you assume that the people who are lost, for example, might have been the people who would have most needed treatment. Well, Raj, thanks so much for your time. This was a great uh, interview and uh, congratulations once again on being the uh, lead author on that paper. Thank you so much, Carmen. It was a pleasure talking with you.